Well, it is great to have you here worshiping with us, and uh, we are excited to get going here this morning in making much of our King, and uh, in music, and in hearing from the kids as they were singing, and now also as we take some time in the Word. And uh, we're in a series here called Lord of All, Lord of All, and uh, our thing is making sure we understand from Scripture that Jesus is Lord of All. Like, uh, didn't make those words up, comes right out of God's Word. In fact, when we launched on Easter Sunday, we were in the book of Acts, and we hit a passage that said exactly that, that Jesus is Lord of all. And uh, as He is Lord of all, well, then what does it mean to live like He's Lord of all? Handing your life over to Him and allowing Him to make changes in you that you might make much of His name. And... uh, Last week, we were actually in one of those steps as we were looking at what does it mean to give our attitudes over to Him. And uh, I think I said about three words in, today we're talking about attitudes, and we got like, oh, (laughs) right? And a powerful week as we walked through Philippians chapter 4 and trying to figure out what does it mean to hand my attitudes over to Him, and how does God have a work in me? What steps do we take in that? And if you weren't here with us last week, feel free to jump on the web, pick that up. We've got the videos online for those all the time. This week, we're looking at another fun one, Lord of my tongue. Lord, help me watch what I say. Help me watch how I say it. And uh, we don't really need that, right? We should just move on. And uh, this is a big one. I really say this is a big deal. This is a big deal, and uh, so let's dive in a little bit here. I, I, that's all good. <laughs> no idea what that was, but we're all good. Uh, somebody's managing that, right? Okay. Uh, here we go. So a couple of thoughts for you. Uh, the average person speaks about 25,000 words a day. About 25,000 words a day. Uh, In fact, if you do the math, that comes out to about 20% of your awake life is spent with your mouth open, talking. And uh, so a couple little pieces of math on that. Uh, Did you know that if you do the math there, about 200 words per page, you basically speak about 200 books a year, 200, 200 200-page books of your words are what's said and spent, and I'll just quote a proverb here, where words are many, sin is not absent, right? And let's watch out for it. And that's just at 25,000 words. Some of us are at 50,000 words. You know what I'm saying? And we're writing 400 books. And uh, we got some issues there. And uh, the statements we're making, man, uh, how many of your books are nonsense? They're like silly, ridiculous, didn't need to be talking about it words or Or maybe even worse yet, how many are hurtful or judgmental or attacking? How many of your books are the kind where you hope nobody ever would read them, right? The things I say, I say in private and I say viciously against someone and I hope no one hears these words ever as I say it to just one or two or three other people backbiting and slamming. And and let's be careful to make sure our words are exactly what God wants them to be. Let's hand our tongues over to him. If he's Lord of all, let's at least make him Lord of that, right? And uh, so, God, how can we invite you to be the author and perfecter of our mouth? 
That's what we're looking at today, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3. We got ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands, so if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. And uh, just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. We're going to walk through this passage verse by verse, all right? James 3, 1 through 12. The uh, first step in making God the author of your mouth, the perfecter of your mouth, step one, restrain. Uh, Be cautious in the use of your tongue because of its ability to have large impact. Restrain. Be cautious in the use of your tongue because of its ability to have large impact. And um, as we dive into James chapter 3 here, let's just get a few notes down. What is this book, all right? The book of James. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus, most believe. Half-brother of Jesus. And about 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, okay? So not very long after, right? About 10 years after Christ has resurrected and ascended, um, it was written to the Jews, right? It starts out in verse 1, and he's writing to these Jews who have been dispersed, spread about because of persecution. And uh, so this is a book helping them figure out the Christian life in the midst of some struggles and some suffering, and there's been some spreading of them, and he's like, hey, let me give you some thoughts on this. In fact, the book of James has 54 imperatives, command verbs, 54 different times where he's like, do this, right? So he's not mincing words. He's jumping right into it. He's telling us exactly where we need to go. That's the book of James. So here we go. He jumps right in, in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, talking about the tongue, and he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, all right? He starts out, not many of you should become teachers. Not many of you should become... Notice he doesn't say, none of you should become teachers. He doesn't say that, right? Everybody say, not that. He's not saying none of you, but he is saying, not many of you, right? Like, I'm telling you, there's a lot of you who want to get up front and want to have a say, be careful. That's what he's saying. Be cautious. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with upfront style ministries. And um, to those who have high positions, there can be high falls, right? And uh, we need to be very careful. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. So he's talking to believers, right? This is like Christian family, my brothers. Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teachers. Teachers will be held accountable for the truth that they purport. This is what's right. And uh, held accountable for that. Everybody say held accountable. accountable. Teachers. They will be held accountable for how they move people and, and where they move people to. And moving them against God or against another person can be a deep problem. And be careful with what you say. And uh, everybody say held accountable. I'm telling you, held accountable for the truth they're sharing, for where they're directing, for the words that are being said, and even the way that it's being said, watching the tone, watching the language, and uh, being able to get up front does not mean cap off. It does not mean watch out uh, very little and just let it explode. And uh, what do you say? Not that. Okay, can we get clear enough? Like, this is a big deal. 
and a teaching, deep responsibility to what God has to say in his word, truth, to where he wants people directed, to what's needing to be said in tone and in language, and a huge deal. And teachers will be held to a greater strictness. Why? Well, because you impact more than just you when you're talking. Because you could be impacting 15 to 1,600 people in a day. And uh, watch out what you say and be careful with that. Huge responsibility comes with an upfront role in teaching. And uh, he doesn't say no one should be, but he says not many of you should be, right? And that's a big deal. Let's really long for the gifts that God has given us and let's go after using those. And for those who have teaching gifts, well, then you're some of the many, the not many, right? But for those who don't have teaching gifts, man, don't long for it because with it comes a lot of heartache. You have no idea how much thought goes into talking 45 minutes twice and not ticking off a lot of people unnecessarily. (laughs) Notice I said unnecessarily because there's times where people need to hear something, right? But I'm telling you, you got to be really careful and walk it through carefully and make sure you've thought through the words and you're saying what God has to say as the main uh, tenant, all right? So that's what he's saying here. Be cautious. And uh, why is he saying it? For we all stumble in many ways. I love this part of James's preach. He's like, just so you know, there's a lot of sin going on, but notice he put himself in that bucket as well. We all stumble in many ways. Like, I'm just telling you, I'm with you. We're struggling together. We're making mistakes together. We need to have adjustment and transformation together. Our God is working on every single person in this room. And all of God's people said, we all stumble in many ways. This word stumble is actually, really it's a metaphor for uh, sin. Uh, It literally means to trip, right? It has this picture to it, right? Stumble. It didn't mean collapse and, and gone But I'm telling you, we get caught up in ourself and our sin, and we spend time on us too much. And all of God's people said, that was a really good spot for an amen. And uh, for we all stumble in many ways. It says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You hearing it? If anyone doesn't stumble with this, dude, I want to meet them. That's what James is saying. If anyone doesn't stumble with what comes off of the tongue, well, there's some serious things going on there that are pretty awesome. And uh, why? I just wrote this down. To bridle the tongue is to bridle the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? To bridle the tongue is to bridle the heart. To bridle the heart... Well, that's bridling the whole body. See, that's how he's getting there. What comes off of our lips is the heart unleashed, okay? And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't say things that we're not pondering on and considering and and valuing. And we say the things we are. Those things start spewing out. And uh, so as long as we've got the heart all okay, then the mouth will be okay. Oh, that's all we have to do. Great. Got it. That'll be easy. And uh, 
right? He's got some answers for us, and we'll extend a little bit as well. He gives us a couple of illustrations here, and uh, he says that uh, if we put a bit into the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. If we put a bit into a horse's mouth, now a horse weighs, depending on the horse, we'll just call it somewhere around 1,000 pounds, okay? 1,000 pounds, and we put this bit, this piece of metal that's half a pound, maybe, pound or something, depending on the size of the bit and the size of the horse. So you put this little piece of metal in their mouth, and all of a sudden you are directing a 1,000-pound animal, right? It says, we guide them. Notice the bit is not guiding them. There's a person managing the reins. That's what's guiding them, right? And so the bit is used to guide the 1,000-pound horse, okay? And so the example he's giving is this monstrous steed that comes riding in, and it's maybe picture a cool day, and you see the breath coming off of this horse, and you take a little five-year-old, and you hoist him up on top of this steed, and you give him the reins, and he goes, right? And the horse starts moving, and he goes, and pulls with the right rein a little bit, and the horse just starts turning. And this 1,000-pound animal being directed around by a 65, 70-pound kid. And uh, he's like, be careful, man. Little things can make big movement. That's his example here. And uh, watch out. The bit, well, it can be used powerfully and, uh, to move that horse. It does say that the horse will obey us. And I was thinking about this this week. Who's the first guy who thought, I'll put it in his mouth? Who thought that? I'm not even sure I'd go anywhere near this thousand pound animal. I'm like, give me a piece of metal. I'm shoving it between his teeth. I'll bet he'll listen to me then. Right? I'm not sure whoever came up with it, but whoever did it, maybe God told someone specifically, right? Put it in his mouth. And uh, whatever happened, somehow the bit in the mouth and the way they were experimenting, they were able to get the horse to move and respond and Really, it takes a very gentle use of that bit to turn a horse, typically. Don't forget that. Yanking and jamming and ramming, well, it often ends up getting the horse pretty mad. Be cautious with it. And um, his other example here, he says, not just the bit in the horse's mouths that guides him. He says, look at the ship also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Look at this massive ship, right? And the, I mean, huge extended feet, hundreds and hundreds of feet and weighing tons and tons and tons. And then there's the rudder, right? And the pilot up front is like spinning the wheel. And this little tiny rudder turns and the whole ship changes direction, right? Well, I'm not sure the ship was that great. Really? It took large winds to fill the sails on this thing, to empower it. That's what he's saying. Great ship, massive in size, huge winds to blow it in movement. Little tiny rudder. Look at the massive impact, okay? And uh, his examples, be very careful. Little things can do huge impact. And uh, it says here, so also the tongue is a small member, 
yet it boasts great things. Right? The tongue, little tiny piece of muscle in us, and yet so much that can be done with the tongue for good or for bad. The damage that can be done when not considering where, how, when, whatever. And uh, the large boasting that it says here, this word boasting is not actually a boasting like it's bad. It's saying, look, there's much that can be accomplished, much that can be said. Rhetoric moves people. And, and God wrote us his word, right? We get moved by word. We get moved by spoken word. And God's like, be careful. Huge things can happen off of your tongue. Make sure you're considering that and thinking wisely to it. Uh, Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out all evil things. Uh, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. I'm telling you, you need to think before you speak. And that's all he's saying. Think before you speak. Be cautious. Everybody say, be cautious. And be cautious. In fact, I just said it this way. Think. I found it this week in, uh, on the web. I thought it was good. Think. We'll just break it down. Five steps to thinking. Acronyms. So we'll start with T. Think. T stands for true. Make sure you're saying what's true. And you're not lying. You're not deceiving. You're not twisting. You're speaking what is in alignment with God's word, what is true. Okay? Now, there are some people in this room that are like, absolutely, man. I love saying what's true. And I'll bring truth. And uh, just so you know, though, there's four more things. Okay, so let's be careful. Let's not just go on the truth only game plan. Okay? Uh, the next one, H, helpful. That tends to limit it sometimes, doesn't it? Helpful. And uh, being able to share what can actually make an impact. Maybe they need to know something and there's something they can adjust. Uh, maybe there's nothing they can do or there's an insight you're making that can't possibly in any way assist. Not helpful. And so you have to be very careful about what you're saying and who you're saying it to. Yes, true. Yes, helpful. Is this assisting in their insight to their God? Is this assisting in them understanding a better step that they could take, a next step that they could take? Is there absolutely nothing they can do with the information you're giving? You just thought you'd bury them under it. Probably not helpful, right? Be careful. So true, helpful, the I, inspiring. Uh, you might want to say encouraging. Right? If we go back to the First Thessalonians 5 stuff we talked about two weeks ago with our tongue, and we talked about informing, that would be the true and helpful stuff. And then encouraging, that's the inspiring here. You're stirring them. You're exciting them to what it could be. You're giving them a vision of what could happen. You're standing beside them, and you're like, you can do it, man. I'm right there with you. And... Uh, just so you know, that's a really unhelpful encouragement if they can't really do it. Okay? So be careful. We're back to true again. You can do it! There is no way he's going to do it. No way. Right? We have to be really careful with that. Be careful with your encouragement. You do create a sense of hopelessness when you constantly sell that something is doable when in fact it's not at all. Okay? 
So be cautious with that. Think through your encouragement. How about this? Give it your best, man. Like, whatever, just give it your best. Make sure God's honored as you give him your best. Now, that one's doable. And uh, maybe that does succeed in it, and maybe it doesn't, and maybe God's got something to teach in it. And, and uh, just consider true, helpful, inspiring, the end, necessary. Man, that'll stop a lot of us from talking, wouldn't it? Wait, you mean it has to be necessary for me to speak? And uh, in our home, we talk about how many words are spoken, and uh, this 25,000 word thing. And uh, the, so the, ta- the statement typically goes, guys are around 20 to 25,000 words, and uh, girls maybe more around 50,000 words. And uh, not in our home. I got a lot of words, man. And uh, my wife's like, I think you're at 50,000, maybe 100,000, maybe 100,000. And uh, the only time I'm not talking is when everybody's falling asleep. And uh, I love asking questions. I love having insights. I love looking stuff up. And I got a lot of words, man. Where words are many, sin is not absent. And I have to be careful with it, right? And uh, be careful with forcefulness and, and make sure you're in the true, helpful, inspiring, necessary. There's probably a lot of words that a lot of us need to check at the door and set them down, Okay. And then the last one for K, kind. Make sure it's said with kindness and gentleness. Galatians 6.1, even when we're confronting someone in their sin, gently and with respect, kind. There's a tenderness in the tone. There's a tenderness in the word. Hey, newsflash, it's not kind when there's name calling. Okay? And I don't know what names you like to use. Be careful. Name calling doesn't ever get it done. Okay, and you could even be using names that are sort of benign, and, and you're like, it's no big deal, I'm just joking around, and I'm just telling you, watch out on the name calling. It, it tends to stick with people, and it can stick for long, long, long periods of time, decades, and uh, be careful with how you're raising your kids, and uh, you know, once you get over here, you loser, that'll stick, and uh, man, you're such a runt. And uh, those things stick, and you're just joking around, right? And uh, I don't really mean that, and then, then, then don't say that, right? Watch ourselves. Think, and uh, true, and uh, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. You're like, I have to think about all those things? I'll never get into a conversation. <laughs> They're talking, and I'm like, oh, I could say this. Is that true? Yeah. It's helpful and inspiring. Somebody else talked again now. Now it's a new topic. All right, true, helpful, and right? Isn't it true? We're just like, if you have to think, you'll never get words out. And look at where we really stand with what we believe about speech. Just throw it out there. And is that what he's saying here? Be careful is what he's saying. Watch out and uh, Little things can move huge stuff. In fact, I would even say it this way. Do you believe that your tongue can hurt deeply? Do you believe it? And for some, you're like, oh, I believe it because somebody's hurting me. And for others, we're like, I don't know. I don't know if anybody really takes me that seriously. And trust me, man, you must understand that you, with your little tongue, can do massive hurt, okay? It's a big deal. And uh, so here's an illustration. 
uh, riggers. They're the guys that work in the giant auditoriums putting up lights and speakers, and they're up 100, 150 feet in the air setting the rooms, okay? And uh, they were asked by a guy one time, they said, hey, so, man, how do you walk up there? And, and you're so far above the ground, it's got to be pretty scary. And they're like, ah, you get used to that, it's no big deal. You know what's really dangerous? Is when right below the girding that you're walking on, they put a false ceiling in. Because your mind starts saying, it's only a foot. It's not a big deal. And you start getting more careless. He said, I've seen more of my friends hurt badly or killed because they get careless with the drop ceiling. And they slip off the side one foot down. They hit the ceiling tiles. They explode flying everywhere. And then they fall 110 feet down to whatever else. And uh, man, all too often we think there's a drop ceiling in there. And it isn't there. There is no drop ceiling with your tongue. Be careful. It's deep, long, high falls with massive impact that can happen. And watch out. Don't get lulled to sleep. Be careful with your tongue. Be wise with it, okay? First step is be cautious. It's putting some work on you. So question, how are you doing with being careful with your words? You ready? Ready to engage in being cautious? Okay. Step number two. And trust. Hand over your heart and tongue to God to conquer the raging fire of self within. And trust. Hand over your heart and tongue to God to conquer the raging fire of self within. The first one is you're giving it some effort yourself, but just so you know, it's not going to work. You hearing me? You're going to give it all your effort, and it's going to come up short. And why do you say that, Tim? Let's dive in here. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Are you hearing it? Picture this massive tree line on fire, ablaze, just raging. And uh, started with a little spark. And the whole place is lit up. He's like, I'm telling you, your one word can be that spark within a church community to start a blaze, a forest fire of gossip and anger and frustration. And be careful what you stir up with your one little word. And uh, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. It's that spark, right? A world of unrighteousness. Why is he saying that? Well, because... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and our hearts are in dire need of some adjusting. There's some deep unrighteousness hanging within, and it just comes flowing out. And uh, maybe it's in being upset about somebody else and complaining. Maybe it's whining about a situation God's put you in. Maybe it's in attacking or criticizing, hurting. Maybe it's in swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain and whatever different things you can find where your tongue is just spewing the what's in here. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness because that's what's inside, man. That's what God's working on. He's taken our hearts and one step at a time, one degree of glory at a time, unrighteousness to righteousness. Praise be to God. And uh, he is doing some work on the tongue by working at its source, the heart. And he's making some adjustments there. And he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, 
and it is set on fire by hell. <laughs> wow. He doesn't think very highly of the tongue, does he? James is sitting down, and he's like, all right, here we go. I got some stuff to say. God's been sort of pressing on me, and here's what we're going to do. This, from hell. That's what I got to say. They're like, James, you speak, you use it. Yeah, isn't that a scary thought? Right? And that's what he's walking through here. He's like, be careful. This tongue set on fire itself. It is a spark. It is a source for problem. And uh, it says, a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among us. It is staining the body and setting on fire the entire course of life. Now, Depending on which translation you have, you have many different words in there. Setting on fire the course of life, the course of nature, um, whatever it is. The literal says that the wheel of birth is on fire. That's what it says. What's that, what does that mean? And the best they can think is it's probably a poetic statement for from beginning to end, there is fire in your life. Because of the fire of unrighteousness from heart spilling to tongue, from birth all the way through, the course of life from birth to end, and affected by the unrighteousness of our soul. This is a huge verse for the simple statement, man, we have a lot of unrighteousness problem and we need it addressed. And all of God's people said, that's why we love our Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing the work at the cross paying for, but more than that, Holy Spirit now pouring in glory, changing us from one degree of glory to another. It is His work, and He's doing that change on my soul, and that's what's going to switch over what's happening in my life, is the Spirit doing His thing in my life. Praise be to God. We have no hope without Him. We have all hope with Him, and a huge deal. I remember back, I was early college, and uh, we had gotten some fireworks. As friends, we were going to go out and light off some fireworks, 4th of July, and uh, these were the legal ones. Uh, the one I bought was one of those pinwheel things. I had a bunch of these and then some other stuff, and I, this pinwheel, it like flew off different colors, and it spun, and it would fly up into the air, and, and so we were out, and we were lighting off some different fireworks, and, and I lit that one up, and I'm like, hey, the pinwheel's going off, and I lit it. And a little dangerous because it does fly up in the air on its own. You know what I mean? And it comes up in the air. It's like, zzz, and you can hear it buzzing, right? And the sparks are going, and it's kind of almost dark, totally cool looking as these sparks are whipping off. The thing's coming up, and a breeze blows. And it goes, and we're like, oh, uh-oh. Blows over towards this open field, and we hadn't had much rain that summer. And it lands down in grasses about this high, and you just see it go, and it's gone. And we're like, ho! Okay, we're okay. And we all, at the same time, we go, oh no. Like, now what? We're all ripping our shirts off, we're running over there, we're smacking it down. One of the guys was smart enough, he runs out in front of it, and he's going like this. He's trying to cut the grass off, so he's, I'm creating a burn line! Right? We had to look like morons out there. <laughs> and uh, I'm just telling you, a few little sparks can light it up on fire, man. And uh, watch how you use your tongue. Are you coming in trying to be constructive? Are you thinking, T-H-I-N-K, 
or destructive. One spark to the wrong spot and it all goes out. And uh, be careful. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And it does set on fire the course of nature. And, uh, huge deal. He says here, uh, and it is set on fire by hell. Just so you know, the original language word here, it says, and it is set on fire by Gehenna. And they translate it across to hell. So I just thought it'd be kind of cool to hear a few statements about Gehenna. Just so you know, Gehenna. This was a place that about a thousand years before Jesus Christ, uh, everything went wrong. People decided to start worshiping Baal. They decided to start sacrificing their children. All the kids are getting a little lower in the seats, right? Sacrifice their kids to try to get right with Baal. That's sick, man. And they're going and they're sacrificing their children, and it went on for quite some time at this spot called Gehenna. It was in a valley, okay? And uh, at that spot, they ended up sacrificing. It turns out in 2 Kings 23.10, Josiah comes in and says, enough of that! This is pathetic. It's unclean. It's horrifying to God. We're done with it. It will not be allowed here anymore, and shut it down. He declared the whole place unclean. This whole place is unclean. And we won't be doing anything here of any worth. In fact, from then on, they used to carry garbage out to that spot. And they would burn it. They would take bodies that had passed away where they had no known uh, ownership. They would take them out to that spot and burn them. So it was burning refuse and and waste and and bodies. And it was this horrifying thing that was kind of always on fire and always had darkness and evil attached and a constant reminder of unclean and So Christ, when he was speaking and teaching, thought a perfect illustration for hell. So he referred to hell as like Gehenna, a place always on fire and evil constant and constantly unclean, and that's what's going on, okay? And he's like, just so you know, your tongue is set on fire like Gehenna. Unclean stuff always burning. Watch yourself. uh, May we constantly be careful. It says, for every kind of beast and a bird and a a reptile and uh, every creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Uh, You can tame any animal. You can tame a lion. You can't tame this. He's getting a little sarcastic at this point. He's got, come on, man. We can tame wild beasts, and we can't tame this. What's up with that? And uh, just so you know, if you're like, all right, I'm sick of my tongue hurting people, I'm going to put it in check. Right? See, that's point number one. Restrain. Give it some effort, right? Just so you know, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a hopeless effort if point number one is the only point you're going to go after. Okay, so it's good to put some effort after it. It's good to say, God, I'll try to cooperate with you. Everybody say cooperate. But God, it's your work. And if you don't work in my heart, there will be no taming done. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And uh, Lord, take over my soul. And uh, you work on it. It is full of deadly poison. Um, There is no hope but coming to him. And... uh, Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. And uh, be careful. 
Be wise. Yes, that's point number one. Number two, make sure God's got a hold of your soul and he's doing a work changing you from one degree to the next or there's no hope. Um, so I debated telling you this illustration, but I'm going to. So here we go. Uh, 1980s. I had just graduated from college. A friend of mine and I, we decided to go to Jamaica. It was over the summer. Hot. Jamaica in the summer. I don't know about the plan there, but we were like, hey, man, we love playing volleyball. The place we were going to, it, it had volleyball going all the time. Good sun. So we went down there. We hung back for a, a week and uh, got a ton of tan, played a ton of volleyball, and uh, met a lot of people from Boston. We learned how to give our Boston accent. We, we started talking with them a ton. And we decided, you know what? Let's, let's go to this waterfall way up and we'll do that. And it's like 112 degrees. Everybody say moron. <laughs> and so we're going up there. Now remember, it's 1980s. So we're all dressed in our neon green and our neon pink. And guys wore pink then. And uh, Everybody's wearing all their neons, and we're walking along, climbing these huge rocks and getting up the side of the mountain and going and going, and you're just dripping with sweat, and there is nothing you can do to cool down the little water bottle you could bring. Like, that's nothing. It's not nearly enough, and we're boiling, and we're sweating, and we're over, just pouring over with it. We're like, do we quit? And uh, keep going, man. We get to the top, and you are like, we've lost four pounds. You know what I mean? You're ridiculously overheated. So what's the first thing you do when you get to the edge of a waterfall and you're sweating like crazy? Jump in! And so we dive in underneath and tons and tons of gallons of water just pouring over us. Icy cold water pouring down from the mountaintop. And you're just like, oh! As it pours over and it just instantly cools you down. And uh, that's what it looks like for you to entrust yourself to your God. Man, you can run around trying to control the tongue, and it's like a little tiny water bottle spraying a little bit on you and squirting it here and there. And you can put it in restraint a little bit, but I'm telling you, you need to get under the waterfall of God's glory. You need to hang underneath him. You need to have his spirit pouring over you, him revealing who he is, him celebrating in front of you, this is me. And I love you and I'm going to put myself on display as I now take your soul and transform one degree, just one degree, man. That's all we're changing right now. The way you want in this area, that's going to change. Praise be to God. And, and that little change, and it changes what's spewing out of my mouth. And dive under the waterfall of God's glory. And trust yourself to him. That's where the heavy lifting is done. All right? And uh, so, yes, restrain, but way more in trust. Question, how are you doing with trusting God in his glory? How are you doing with discovering his glory and basking in it, sitting under and having it pour over you, spending time in the word looking for the God statements, and then celebrating and thanking him along the way? All right? Like, as you read your word, constantly read for, and that's what he's like. With a smile on your face as you write it down, and like, Lord, I'm going to totally celebrate you in that area. Finding it in his word and worshiping him in the midst. As you do that, I'm telling you, he changes your soul, all right? The tongue, the last one. So we're doing some restraining. Now we've done some entrusting. Last, deploy. Use your tongue for good. 
blessing both God and others. Use your tongue for good, blessing both God and others. He says, with it, we bless our God or our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. All right? With our mouth, we bless the Lord. Love you, God. You are unbelievable in you knowing everything, able to do anything. My rock, my fortress. Wow. Cursing man. What a loser. Don't they see what they're doing? If I were them in their shoes, I would have totally known not to do that. I don't know what's wrong with their head. They must have fallen and hit their head. What a, a lame example. Cursing. And, uh, but they're made in the likeness of God, it says. See, we miss that. When we talk to other people, here's what we're looking for. Evidence that I'm better. Not evidence that God was here. Being made in the likeness of God. When you're talking with other people, it's, Lord, show me your likeness through this person. And sometimes you might be like, no, seriously, God, I'm not seeing it right now. And uh, I really mean with this one. And uh, really work hard. Like, Lord, what in this person is revealing the character of God. It says we are made in his likeness. And yes, there is unrighteousness ravaging in our soul. And so I get that there's some things we will need to dismiss. All right, I get that. That we are not perfect and there are things we need to work on and there is stuff that they're wrong in. But I'm telling you this, there is also something about them that reveals the very character of God. His passion, his love, his intelligence, his ability to reason in a situation, his discernment, his mercy, his grace. What is it that you could look into another person's soul and be seeing God's very existence there, the likeness of God in them? And uh, it doesn't mean that we always ignore everything broken. I understand there are practical times where we need to be working on some things and maybe leading into a situation, but I'm telling you this, all too often we're trying to figure out why they're wrong, why they're less than us, why they missed what I wouldn't have missed. And uh, are you ready to work on that? Okay, now for a real rhetoric, no, a real answer, not a rhetorical answer. Seriously, are you ready to work on that? You ready? Let's give it a big answer. Are you ready to work on that? And that means when you're going home and you're talking to your family, you're not figuring out what frustrates you. You're figuring out what models you've got. It's not praising them just to praise them. It's praising their God that made them. Are you hearing me? And as you destroy the very thing God has made, you are mocking him. Bring it back to your creator and make much of his name. Bless his name. Let his name be pouring off of your lips with thanksgiving. In fact, he gives us some examples here. He says, uh, my brothers, these things, you know, the blessing and cursing at the same time, ought not to be so. Like, it's not natural, dude. That's what he's saying. It is not natural. Everybody just say, it is not natural. So let's not do what's not natural. He said, 
Uh, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Answer, no, it does not. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Answer, yeah. Or how about uh, a grapevine produce figs? Answer, and uh, neither can salt, uh, can a salt pond yield fresh water? I'm telling you, the natural, the original design, God's main intent, one purpose. Your tongue, saved and redeemed, trusting in Jesus Christ, your tongue, meant for blessing, meant for praising him, worshiping your God forever. What pours off my tongue, Lord, making much of you. Now that's worship. That's what we're supposed to be going after. Are you ready to let your heart begin to focus on worship? And so your tongue begins to praise that God might be glorified. As we go to put our tongue in check, yes, there's some refraining holding back. Yes, there's some deploying, rushing in, Lord, help me bless well. And man, there's a ton of entrusting. Let God do a changing work in you. That's how we let him be Lord of our tongue. And all of God's people said, Amen. let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you've given us a little understanding on how we can walk before you with our mouth. Lord, this thing within our heart that's so wrecked and in need of transformation, and we need you, Lord, and now we have the mouth that opens up and reveals what's going on inside. Lord, may you truly start transforming our souls right here and right now. Lord, may our mouths be used to bless your name. May our mouths be used to worship you as God. You are Redeemer and Savior. You are rock and fortress. You know all. You can do all. You are Almighty King, Lord of Lords. May we worship you and your creation. As we celebrate that, may we be celebrating you and make much of your name. You are awesome, God. Lord, we just take this time where we realize the next moment is a huge one. May you become our waterfall. May we be standing under you in the heat of the fires of our unrighteousness. And may you lavish upon us change through your glory. We love you, Lord. May it show. We're amazed by you, God. May that be revealed by our mouth and how we spend our time. Help us to think and help us to go after worshiping you with all we've got. It's in your mighty, powerful, redeeming name I pray these things. And all of God's people said, Amen.